I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. And we're eating lunch. We're going back to the hive. For season five. <laughs> the Gregory Smith show. Don't choke. Oh, I am so sorry I did that to you. Um, we're eating lunch in a uh, rare we, moment. We're eating cordon blues. In a rare moment of togetherness where we're not working. But we are. But we're recording this, right? Yep. Um, so, we're in tech. We're in tech for Christmas Angel right Christmas now. Christmas Angel. And it is a very busy time. What was the statistic you pointed out to me? You shouldn't talk with your mouth full of food like we're doing. Just P.S. But go ahead. I said, uh, oh my gosh, we've gone through three tech weeks in an eight-week period. Yeah. In two months, we've teched in three brand new brand new shows. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're, we're kind of in that place, if you know what I mean. I have to run off to a um, work event before... I've been watching the show via a live stream YouTube link and, like, taking notes from home. It's really... Technology is amazing. And Matt's been going for various reasons. We've had fridge trouble... The pug was, one of the pugs was perhaps sick. Anyway, I wanted to tell you something real quick before we get started. You know, the uh, Spotify put out its uh, 2020 wrapped things. Everyone I know was sharing their own things about what they listen to most, whatever. But if you're a creator... You mean 2022? What'd I say? I think you said 2020. It, it's still it 2020. Feels like 2020. Right? It feels like 2020. Our 2022 wrapped. Uh, there's a few f- fun facts. If you're a creator on Spotify, which we are... Um, they tell you about your show because they're watching you every moment. And I just wanted to, these things stood out to me. There's a lot of great news in there. And thank you, a big time thank you to all of you because you're making this show worth doing and giving us incredible statistics and numbers to talk about even. Um, but we created 5,625 minutes of new content this year. That's a lot. Uh, we are listened to in 16 countries, and our podcast is in the top 25% of most shared podcasts globally. So that's all thanks to you all sharing it. That's um, cool. It's amazing. And to respect our audience, I just took a bite of food. Anyway, um, we have to eat, sorry. And we have to work. Clearly, we're combining the two. Today, we are talking to... Rosie Bernardo. Yay, Rosie. We are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. In 1985, Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade, Longshot. Just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler, the world changed. Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against the world trying to keep them apart. Listen to Longshot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. It's been a minute. Um... (laughs) Yes. I'm, I'm sitting here with my husband and co-host, Matt Connor. Hey, 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 hey. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And oh, our, our producer, that. Ryan Dean Halbrook. Hey, Rosie. 
Oh my gosh. Hey, Ryan. Oh my gosh. This is awesome. What a reunion. This is a, a mini Jesus Christ superstar reunion. Um, how are you? How have you been? I, I'm really doing wonderful. I, I turned 50 this year, so. Oof. Yeah, you look great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, you know, as fellow performers, um, you know, when you're a dancer, singer, actress for a lot of your life, I think that definitely keeps us young. You know, it's really yeah. important. Um, where are you? So right now I just moved from Rockville, Maryland. I moved to Urbana, which is uh, right near Frederick and actually close to Shenandoah. Oh, okay. Relatively. Yeah. Wait, you're in Frederick? I'm a little bit south of Frederick. It's called Urbana. Would you take 270 up that way from here? Um, where are you? We're in Arlington. Yes. So like and, 495 to 270 and up that way towards Frederick. And would you yes. hop 181 to get to Winchester? Um, after you, if you go like through Harper's Ferry, that's how I would go. I would go through Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, and then I think take 81 South takes so me back to Shenandoah. Yes, yeah, so you're going up. Is, is that towards uh, like Northern Maryland, right? Yes, yes. So you're it's, you're you're neighboring Harper's Ferry. I'm about 20 minutes from Harper's Ferry. Oh, oh nice. Wow. That's a beautiful town. It is beautiful. It What's is special. Urbana like? Oh, well, there's a joke that it's North, North, North Potomac. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's, it's a really beautiful planned community. My father was an award-winning architect. And I really love it here because it's a really well-planned community and all the architecture is fairly new. And it's just beautifully designed the it's just beautiful it's really beautiful and the schools are right across the street the kids i have two kids um charlie and isabella they're 12 and 13 um so it's it's been great and the reason i moved here was because one of my best friends from childhood steven that went to elementary middle school and high school with me was living here with his kids and okay. Yeah, so that's kind of how he told me about it. I was like, oh, maybe I should check it out. But um, I've lived in a lot of other cities, too. I lived in Los Angeles and most recently Miami. So, but now I'm back. Is Urbana's, like, downtown, like, older or is it newer? No, it's uh, it doesn't really even have a downtown. Oh, it's, okay. It's giant. There's a giant and a couple stores. <laughs> The whole town is downtown, <laughs> uptown, off town. Now, you, you, you guys grew up in Silver Spring together? Yes, we did. Oh, okay. Yes, we did. So you're kind of from the DMV anyway, just to begin with. Totally, totally, yes. I'm, I'm Cuban from the DMV. <laughs> uh, Silver Spring is such a great little town. Um, so much going on there. Uh, the, the Roundhouse Old Theater is there. Yes. Um, so I spent a lot of time AFI. in there. AFI mm -hmm. is there. I spent yes. quite a bit of time there in the uh, mid 2000s. But oh, neat. Um, so so growing up in in Silver Spring, what what got? Wait, I got one question. Yeah. Is, yeah. is there a spring? <laughs> Silvery. <laughs> no, I mean, no. Is it is it was I... it based on a Silver Spring? You know, I don't know what why they named it that, but I would assume probably. I and mean, why, why, oh, why did Stevie Nicks sing "You Could Be My Silver Spring"? 
That's another. You're listening to MapQuest. No, <laughs> okay. I think she was talking about a Slinky. Oh yeah, you could be my silver uh, spray. Well, no, if you you know, like a long time ago, when people named things, it was clearly for like a historical reason or a landmark. Uh, Absolutely. I've always, I've always joked about Falls Church. There is a church, but there's no falls. <laughs> And and you maybe were, the, maybe they fell. Where, where you wonder like was there, there used to be like a little thing that they thought was the falls? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, because clearly you go to Great Falls, and there are Great Falls. Well, right, the Great Great Falls is there. The, right. the waterfalls, yeah, yeah. Some so, things make more sense than others. There's a right. town. This is we'll get into you, but there's a town in uh, on my way home to Pennsylvania that's called Accident, Maryland, and man. <laughs> It's just, it's in the mountains. There's a lot of steep slopes, but it's just like, you you don't feel good until you're past accident, Maryland. You know what I mean? Mm. Ryan, did you? And, is, and there's no, and it's not an accident. The accident <laughs> is called accident. Accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Silver Spring, there was like a few politically active families that moved to the area. And one of them was named Blair, and he completed a 20-room mansion he dubbed Silver Spring on a 250-acre country homestead. So. Oh, so that's why it's called that. Yeah. Wow, that's the history. Okay, wow. That's well, on another strange note, not that anyone cares, uh, you know, there was that shooting that just happened, not last night, but the killing at some university in Idaho? Okay. Question mark? There's another one since the last one? Wasn't uh, that... That was... There was like four college kids that just got murdered. Yep. Yep. Anyway, and it was ironically, I saw the newscaster. Um, he was like, "Yeah, and I'm here in Moscow, Idaho." And I was like, "Wait, who chose to? Who do do they vote? Moscow? I mean, we stole all the names, right? So we stole the the capital from I mean, Russia. Well, first of all, we stole the country." And then we just started naming it things we wanted to. So. Yeah. Could they have at least named it like New Moscow? Maybe. Maybe like New Amsterdam. So what was the high school uh, that you went to in, in the Silver Spring area? Springbrook High School. Oh. Springbrook High School. And Lots of springs. <laughs> there you go. Right, and Rosie, right. what, was, what was the thing that first made you kind of realize you wanted to like twirl and sing? Oh, yeah. You know, I grew up in a musical family. My parents both um, sang. My father played piano and my mom played guitar. They didn't do it professionally, but it was a big part of their lives. And I um, am one of 10 children. And wow. my, yeah, big, big family. And my oldest brother started off playing guitar. And then one by one, everybody picked up an instrument. I started playing trombone. That was the instrument I picked in um, elementary school. I played that through middle school and then I joined the choir. But the whole time I was um, fascinated with dancing. And I used to put VHS videos of Janet Jackson's latest yes. music video in and I would just rewind it and forward it and just learn her moves. Mm -hmm. So in high school, um, I did a, a lip sync contest where I was Janet Jackson and I'm like Latina, right? But my two backup dancers were my best friends were black and I was Janet. <laughs> <laughs> and we got like third place and we did a great job. We got third place. And then I also did- um, What was the was, song? What was the song? Oh my gosh. Um, mm, 
You'll, it'll, it'll come to you. It'll come to me. I'm not sure because there was a few I was always singing. I want to okay. say maybe control, but I'm not say positive. Control. What's yeah. the one where I always think she's saying, ooh, golfing stuff, ooh, oh. golfing stuff. It's so oh. in love. Um, yeah that was more recent though that was more when i think of you yes when i think of you i was going to say the rhythm is going to get you but that's not that's Gloria. that's Gloria yes but then in in high school i auditioned for a musical it was west side story yeah and that's what that's what started my i went to the i had never taken a dance class even though i had begged my father to put me in dance classes but he didn't know what a jazz class was so he didn't know what to do with me. Um, so I went and auditioned and they actually originally cast me as someone who did not dance in the show. And I was like, what? And then thank God the choreographer said, anyone who, who wants to come to the first rehearsal for dance. And I was like, hell yeah. So I went to the first rehearsal and she saw my natural ability and she went to the director and said, recast her. I'm making her a shark. And that's what kind of started my my career and I just killed it. And um, man, she, what really touched my heart is that she told my parents that night, I found out later, she told my parents at one of the shows that I was the first person she worked with that she thought could be famous. Wow. It was really beautiful and it was a beautiful experience for me because I had, I had no dance training. Sure. I had never been in class, it was just a passion. And so that, um, is that what kind of made you start to think about doing this for the rest of your life kind of thing? Well, I thought about it, but I didn't, because I was one of 10 kids and I was the middle kid. Um, when I was thinking about going to college, I was always a really good student. I didn't really consider going into uh, performing arts. I also was a, was a visual artist. So I ended up enrolling in college at uh, Maryland and Baltimore um, as a graphic design major. But then what happened was, another twist of fate, in my English class, I wrote a paper. And in the paper I wrote about um, that my mother told me in heaven, you could be anything you wanted. And so in heaven, I was gonna be a dancer. And my roommate, who was this awesome girl from Venezuela, she read the paper and she goes, what? Why don't you be a dancer now? <laughs> and I left college I left college and moved back home and ended up getting a job waitressing. And the first week I was there, there was a girl that was a ballerina. And I said, where do you take dance? And she told me, and I went to that studio and I ended up um, taking all these classes, ended up becoming best friends with the director of the studio, ended up moving in with her. And that's how I got on the, the track of being in the arts for a profession, the performing arts. What college were you at? Um, University of Maryland, Baltimore. Oh, okay. At the time, yeah. So you went there before SU? I did, and then I even, I moved to Miami because my uncle at the time was the mayor of the city of Miami. And he said, why don't you come to Miami? Yes, and I was uncle like, of Miami. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not turning that down. So I packed up all my stuff moved to Miami and I went to a community college there, Miami-Dade Community College for two years and I got my associates in music. Okay. And from there is where I applied to SU and I moved back up and went to Shenandoah. What, what uh, tipped you off to Shenandoah? That's a good question. 
Was it just like, and this is, we ask everybody this, was it just like a brochure or something that feels very, you know, 90s now? <laughs> I remember just researching music. Okay. I never had the body type of like a dancer, of like just a dancer. So I figured that music theater would be a better fit for me. Um, and I remember researching music theater schools and I auditioned at Shenandoah and also at Cincinnati and I didn't get into Cincinnati and I heard a lot of good things about Shenandoah. I really don't know if I actually, I think what happened was Marjorie, the admissions person. I think she came down to Miami. I think I had met her at an admissions fair. I want to say I had met her at an admissions fair and she told me about it. And she told me about Hal Herman. And she even gave me some, some clues about my, you know, how to prepare for the audition. Um, I remember that clearly, yeah. So then you auditioned and you got in. Audition, I got in, yeah. What year was it that you uh, first came to SU? 1997. 97. Um, September. And full disclosure, Rosie, if you hear snorts or grumbles, we have two pugs. And okay. <laughs> they are right near the microphone because they are the stars of everything. Ooh. So okay. if, you, if you hear, you know, grumbles, that's what that is. It's not us. <laughs> we promise. Okay. Got it. Um, Got so it. I have, I have, a, ahead, I have a question. Yeah. So you said uh, your heritage is Cuban? Yes. Both of my parents are, are born in Cuba. We're born in Cuba. Oh, wow. How did they, uh, have you gone back to Cuba or not gone back, but have you visited Cuba? You know, I have not visited. Um, some of my siblings have, and some of my aunts and uncles have gone back. My parents chose not to go back. Um, it's pretty. It's a pretty emotional thing because my my um, you know Castro was a pretty bad person, and oh, my yeah. parent my parents were like eighteen when he took over and a lot of their friends were killed and they were, my mother was one of 14 children. Her, um, her father was the Dean of Engineering at, the, at Villanova University there. He was very well respected and he owned two sugarcane plantations. Mm. And um, so my mother was one of 14 kids and when Castro took over, um, he came and took all of the, he came to the farm and just, took all of the older kids and put them in prison. Oh my God. And they, they left my grandmother with the little ones, with like six little kids, took my grandfather also. Oh my God. And they Jeez. shot my aunt. I mean, it was horrible. And my parents were in, in like a one room house prison for a month, both of my parents. Um, so it, it's not something they like to think about that much. Um, I can imagine. So um, not that you need to go there at all, but. Uh, did your parents end up sort of in quotes escaping? Yes, they did. My, my grandfather was able to use some connections he had to get visas for the whole family. Once he got out of prison, he was able to get visas for the family to come to move. So they came in like 1961 or something. And, um, and they actually moved to Washington, D.C. Wow. So they settled in Washington, D.C. And they, they, kind of tried to marry off their kids because they had 14 kids, you know, so <laughs> it was tough to, to come to a new country. You know, my grandfather was a great engineer, so he worked and, you know, they finished raising their kids and did very well. 
No. That is an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful story of reinvention. Yes. You know, you have to reinvent yourself. And my my uncle, the one that became mayor, his name is Javier Suarez. After Shenandoah, I did a lot of subbing in uh, middle schools, and I brought him up because he was on the poster for National Hispanic Month. Oh wow! And he, <laughs> Javier, he came he came and spoke to to these kids, to these middle school kids, and he told them that one thing that really inspired him was that he was the age of when his father came to the country and had to reinvent himself. And he thought, you know, if my dad can do it, I can do it. And it just a beautiful, beautiful stories of, you know, can you imagine moving to a country and not knowing the language, you know, and just not knowing anything? It's just so, so wild. Daunting. Daunting. Yeah. Daunting. Daunting. Well, well I think there's so many uh, stories, as you know, like this, that I wish so many people would realize that there's just, there's such a bigger world out there with people trying to find transformation and uh, just trying to survive. Trying to survive. Yeah. I often think about, yeah. not to make it as a history lesson, but remember the family on the raft? Oh, Elio Gonzalez. Elio, and everyone died, I think, except for him. And wasn't he from Cuba? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was in Florida where the raft came. <clears throat> yep. And I think they ended up like making him go back, I think. It was it was a big story when we like were right out of college, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm assuming uh, that you're bilingual. You know, my parents did not teach me Spanish. Um, so even I, living in Miami. Well, I, I learned in high school and I learned in college. And then I did, I practiced some in Miami, but I never, I'm, I'm not fluent. I can understand a lot. I can speak a lot, but I, I hate to say I'm not fluent. My right. parents did not want us to have an accent. Right. So Make they really wanted us decision. to assimilate, but you know. Conscious decision on their part. Let's, we're going to put this entirely behind us. We are Americans and this is where we're going to raise our children, right? Basically, right? In in some way, I mean, if we had like my cousins that grew up in Miami, I think they had a better deal because they they all learn Spanish, so they're all bilingual. You right. know, um, I mean, some of my siblings, a couple of my siblings speak Spanish. My sister speaks Spanish and French, but um, yeah, it was different. You didn't have to speak Spanish here versus Miami, right? You know, you can barely get a job if you don't speak Spanish in Miami. Yeah, honest. So it was a different setting. It was a different setting. But I really wish that I had learned from when I was a child. I'm not going to lie. That was one thing I, I wish my parents had made a different decision. But so you land at SU 97. And what was your Shenandoah experience like? Like, honestly, what are your main takeaways from it? Superstar. I had <laughs> superstar. Superstar, please. Oh, I was in awe of everybody. Uh, I was in awe of everyone. I was, I was, you know, I was an older student. I was right. already like 25 or something or 26. So I, I had come from my, um, the, the community college I came from had a small program and they just didn't take it as seriously. So I just remember the first week, how serious we took, you know, rehearsal times and you know, it was just so serious. And, and I like that. So I was like, this is awesome. 
<laughs> we're going to get shit done. You know? Right. Like, the level was so much higher than what I was used to at my other school. I was just enthralled. I, I had it. I actually, I just had a total blast. And then being able to, I had Jackson Sheets as my voice teacher. Mm-hmm. He was so phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He was phenomenal. And, um, and, and then, you know what, I, I got to take all my dance classes with the dance majors. Right. Because I was already a dancer. So that was incredible. Um, and then I even got to do, I don't, you, you know, probably don't know, but I, um, one semester, I wanted to do the dance concert instead of the musical. Yes. Oh, here I we do go. Know, I do know this. Here we go. It was do you remember that? Probably. And I had to go, I had to go to Mr. Herman. I was so nervous and ask him if he would release me for one semester. And he had already cast me in the, in the show because we had already had auditions. And he, what show was it? Oh, you know, I don't remember. I was don't it? remember because I wasn't in it. Was it, oh, I, I, I'm going to name a bunch of things. You're going to okay. be like, I don't know. Uh, was it How to Succeed? Yes. Yeah. I think it was How to Succeed. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he was like, Miss Bernardo, you know, I needed you for this show, but I guess it's okay. You can go, but just one time you can go. And I was Ms. like, Bernardo, this is how not to succeed. <laughs> I was so happy. And I went back to Alan, who was the jazz professor, you know, jazz teacher. I said, Alan. I'm released. And he goes, oh, okay, well, if you're free, then we're not only going to put you in one piece, we're going to put you in three pieces. Nice. And that was incredible. So then I had an extra like eight hours of rehearsal for this, for these shows to be in the dance show. And that was one of my lifetime dreams Right. was to be in a dance concert. So I was beside myself. I never missed a dance concert at SU because the department was incredible. Oh. And the pieces were incredible, the music choices. So I, I recall that, Rosie. Um, and I was also friends with a lot of the dancers um, just mm-hmm. because they were amazing. And I was in awe of what they did. Um, so I do remember, I remember seeing you in that dance concert and going, wow, that's pretty fucking cool, you know? <laughs> Well, we also were so lucky that when we were in school, we got that brand new theater. Yeah, yeah. That really, I think, transformed our experience. I think you also per- perhaps set the precedent so that Katie Sina could do the same thing a few years later. When oh, they really? Were, yeah, because they were doing like HMS Pinafore and she was like, uh, I want to dance with the dancers. <laughs> so there's that. I could oh, be I'm wrong. So glad. But well, I think I think you did kind of set the precedent there. Well, that's awesome. I have I have one other little story that I remember very clearly about uh, Mrs. Herman. Mm. You know, I always tell people that I'm a dancer, singer, actress because I I'm really bad at acting. That was not my thing at all. I, I, I knew nothing about acting. I still don't know much about acting. I'm really bad. And and I was kind of in awe of her. I just had never met someone that could could be on a stage doing a scene and like literally turn around and become a different person. Mm-hmm. She was just phenomenal. And, and she came to our rehearsal for uh, Jesus Christ Superstar when we were on the side, not when we were on the main stage, we were on the side stage before yeah. like a dress rehearsal. And I was really like digging my role <laughs> in the chorus for that on the a scene where we were like, See my eyes, I can haunt. When we were like going after Jesus the as the beggars, as the lepers, right. I was really into it. 
And she came to me after that rehearsal and she said, Miss Bernardo, um, oh, she probably called me Rosie. She said, Rosie, that was the first time when, I've, when I, I actually believed you were one of those people. Huh. And that was the only compliment I ever got on my act in my whole life. <laughs> yeah. Did you grow up religious? I did. My family, we grew up Catholic and I, I've always had spiritual experiences. I actually had a really cool one at Shenandoah. Really? <laughs> what? Yeah. I was living off campus and it was snowing and I am not a runner, but I decided to like go for a run. I don't know what I was thinking. And I'm like outside running in the snow and I just felt like the presence of God. I felt a presence. And I, this was my senior year and I dropped to my knees and I just like listened. You know, that's so weird. And I didn't hear an outside voice. I just felt a presence. Sure. And then I went home and I just wrote what I felt came through me. And I actually wrote like um, something like, you know, my mission in life, my, okay, okay, God, I got it. I got it. My mission in life is to help people. I'm going to write a book about it one day. And that, like, that was it. I just felt, I, it just came, it was, I just felt the presence of God. There was just a clarity that you were at one with this higher feeling. And that's so beautiful. Yes, it was, it was, it was really profound. There's also something about being out in the snow that kind of deadens everything else out. And it's so quiet in yeah. the snow. Yeah. Yes. And, yes. And it, it, it can just make everything feel like it's, so totally intimate right around you. So that's interesting. Um, and I, I think we were also doing Children of Eden. Ah, oh. yeah. There you go. Remember that show? Yeah. Yes. And remember, um, who was who was God? It was... Um, ben Schoenberger. Ben. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, that was... That show was beautiful, too. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good time. Um, that... Oh, God. We did a lot of... Well, it was a religious college, so of course we did a lot of religious shows. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. But um, was it a religious college? Yeah, I never really got it that. It was a Methodist it. college. It was, yeah. it was Methodist, meaning that it was endorsed by the. Yeah. But I mean, there's I mean, a church on campus. It's, well, it's a religious college, you know. Yeah. Then, churches on. I don't think so. No. They, yeah, they had the chapel and they had service every Sunday. I used you know, to I mean, I don't. Do all universities and colleges have churches on them? No, I don't think I don't, so. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think so either. I mean, all the other colleges that I've ever been to, especially like um, a uh, what do you call a it? state school or anything yeah. like that, don't no, because that would be kind of forcing a religion on right. people. But if you, I remember it, the only reason college. I know it is a Methodist college is because I was Methodist and that I got a scholarship through being Methodist or something. Oh, I could have oh. said I was Methodist and got a scholarship. You have to be like, yeah, <laughs> it's not just a box you check. You have to like, I don't know. Is there proof? Is there proof? <laughs> Are you sure you're Methodist? Well, <laughs> um, well, so so what happens to Rosie? You mentioned up to senior year. What what did you do right after college? So after college, I you know even though I we were music theater majors, I didn't really I didn't want to go to New York. I was a little bit more of a hand. Like I wanted to be myself on stage because I wasn't that good of an actress you know, more like a recording artist, but I also, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't know what to do next. So I ended up moving back home to Maryland. And then I started uh, teaching 
dance. I went back to my old dance place and I taught dance and I taught some voice and I got into the school system and I did, I subbed for like four years and I loved working with the young people, um, with teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I ended up, um, oh, I also joined a gig band and I did that for like two years. I, I actually, it's a funny story. I went to a wedding of a friend of mine and there was a band there, but they didn't have a female singer. And I went up to the band director and I said, hey, can I sit in on a song for my friend? You know, he goes, sure. So I sit in on a song and I, and I sing and he goes, can you do another one? I'm like, sure. So I sang another song, do, can you do another one? And then he goes, I'm gonna fire my singer and hire you. Oh, well. And I said, cool. So I ended up being part of his band called Showbiz and I, it was wonderful. And I did that for almost two years. Wow, wow. that's great. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. And I also sang the mass. I sang the mass uh, for church. So that was, a, that was the way that I kept going as, a, as an artist, I guess. But then what happened was I got really lucky and I went to a, a, a big small, a big SBA event, Small Business Administration. I went to this big event and I just happened to sit next to this guy. And when he asked me what I did for a living, I said, I'm a dancer, singer, actress. And he goes, oh. Um, can I get your number? Because sometimes when I go to galas, I need extra dance partners. I said, sure. And then he turns around and wins the like entrepreneur of the year award. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, whoa, he's like the 60 year old Me Mexican guy. And I get a call from his office like the next week. Hi, Miss Bernardo. This is um, Mr. Gallagher's a secretary. And he would like to see if you want to come to a gala as one of his dance partners. And so I was like, sure. So I ended up going there and this guy loves dancing. So he would like dance with his wife and then he'd dance with this other friend and then he'd dance with me. And then, he, and then he ended up inviting me to go on a cruise. So I ended up going on a cruise with his family. It was crazy. And then I stayed friends with him and I was just really nice with him for about six months. And then I called him one day and I said, Fernando, I really want to do something with my, my music, my, what I do. And he goes, well, guess what? I have to introduce you to my best friend. And I said, who's that? And he said, H.B. Barnum. He's Aretha Franklin's musical director. Oh my gosh. And he's coming into town next week. What? And I said, awesome. So the following week I sit down, he introduces me as family and I meet H.B. Barnum. And H.B. goes, hey, you should come to LA. And I ended up taking a trip to LA my cousin lived there. I stayed with my cousin and I saw HB a couple times. And then I was, and then I went back and I had a good job and everything. And I just said, F it. And I called him one day from, from my job. I called HB and I go, H, if I move to LA, would, would we do some music together? And he goes, sure, come. And I put down the phone and I'm like, holy cow, what did I just do? And it took me about four months, but I moved to Los Angeles. Wow, that's and I, talk about uh, courage and, and learning <laughs> and, well, and learning from your parents. It's serendipity, yeah, and serendipity, yeah. And I, I had like a hundred bucks. I slept on my on my uh, cousin's couch in the worst part of LA, East LA. If you've ever been there, it's like the gang capital. Like, um, and yeah, I just I created. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah, back in '98, though. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's East I, LA. Yeah, I know. Ryan it, started the East LA group. 
it's a, it was a scary place. I mean, it wasn't terrible when I was there, but it, it I did walk through a gang fight once by accident. Oh gosh. Um, oh yeah, yeah. There was still there were shootings. There, there was stuff going on. But um, but I ended up joining HB's gospel choir. He has a gospel choir he's had for like thirty years. And I got to perform twice with Aretha Franklin, um, once at Hollywood Bowl and once at the Nokia Center. Oh Shut God. up. It was amazing. It was wonderful. And, and I'm still friends with HB. We've been friends for like 12 years. Um, and the thing the, about Aretha, she always takes her personal stage. That's what uh, I heard, yeah. You know, she did not talk to us. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> It was not that kind of relationship, but we um, just kind of went on stage and did our thing and left. Yeah, I mean, we were dressed in the big, you know, the choir gowns and all that, you know, the choir robes and everything. It was really, it was beautiful. That's so cool. But but the beautiful thing, the best part of it though, is really my friendship with HB. Mm -hmm. I I cannot tell you guys what a wonderful human being he is. He. I'll just tell you one thing for the, he's almost 80. I think he's about 86. He'll tell you he's 25, but I think he's about 86. Mm -hmm. And um, he's doing it right now. He, every Thanksgiving, he takes over the community center in Hollywood and he does a free meal for all the homeless, for anybody and a concert. Oh, and wow. he's done it for like 30 years. Wow. 30 years. Straight every like right now he's posting on Facebook. I'm shopping. I'm getting ready to do Thanksgiving. You know, the man. And then for Christmas, he lives up in the hill in Mulholland, on Mulholland Drive in the hills in Los Angeles. On Christmas, I don't think he does it anymore. But when I was living in LA, he would have a three day Christmas party. So you could come every every time if you wanted three different nights. And he wrapped gifts in clear paper so everybody got a gift. In clear paper, so you could see what it was. Exactly right. Oh, oh wow! That's cool. Yeah, and it be used just. So, I've never met anyone like him in my life, and I'll tell you, um, what a talent he was. But but his heart, and he would. He told me one time because I spent a lot of time with him. He said, um, "You know, I, I, He said, "Rosie, I don't even know what depression is. I've never felt depressed." Oh, wow. I don't I don't know what that is. He he gets up at like five o'clock in the morning and he's going. Even wow. now. He must have been devastated when Aretha passed, of course, like we all were. Yes, I'm I think he was. And and unfortunately, our friend that introduced us just died about a week ago. Fernando just passed oh, wow. away, which was his best friend. Oh wow. Um, yeah. But he has, I'll tell you one other little cute story about that, uh, about him. When I visited him one day, he said, Rosie, there's one mistake that I, that I cannot take back. And I said, what? He goes, um, even though I've been with Aretha for all these years, he said, um, I got a call from Paul McCartney. Oh. Paul McCartney wanted me to come be his musical director. And I said, no, because I felt like I, I owed it to Aretha to stay with her. He's like, I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's well, pretty wild. That's that's amazing, but it's also amazing to sh a show of loyalty, you know. Yes, um, for sure, for sure, for sure. So, yeah. so you're out in LA, you're singing, uh, doing gigs. What what else happens in LA? Well, I ended up um, 
having my children. That was one big thing that happened. I met somebody, I got pregnant, I had two children. Um, and then the other thing was that I ended up getting a job. Uh-oh, the dog has a squeaky toy. He hears squeaks, everyone. <laughs> and he's, he's got a, a, a toy that looks like a, a, bottle, a of bottle of Jameson's, except it says J. Mutson's. So Eddie is hitting the bottle hard during this podcast. Sorry. That's cute. <clears throat> um, I ended up getting a job as the office manager at the biggest um, school for DJs for um, oh, music wow. production. It was called, it's called Icon Collective. Okay. And I worked there as an office manager and that was awesome. So I got to be around all of these um, DJ producers and my bosses were wonderful. The place was just wonderful. And it was there that the whole coaching thing started to happen because I, I turned 40 and I kind of felt like, you know, I've, I've been pursuing this dream and everything about being in the arts, but I kind of feel like now I want to switch and I want to help other people pursue what they want to do. And I felt this really big impulse to, to know how to be there for somebody in crisis. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know how, how can I be there for someone in crisis? And I ended up finding a coaching program, uh, online coaching program through Tony Robbins, actually, and Chloe Madonna's, who's this great therapist. And I, I got into that program and I just thought, oh, this is amazing. This is, this is my second calling. I the one say. that you kind of found when you were jogging in the snow back at SU. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had always, I had been into psychology since I was 18, 19. And I had actually read Marianne Williamson's book. If you haven't read that, you have to, A Return to Love. Did you read when, that one, Matthew? I did. It's a beautiful book. Oh, isn't it beautiful? I read that when I was 19 and I was like, that really transformed me. But also it was my mother. My mother was called the Mother Teresa of Laurel. And she just took care of homeless people. Like she was just an amazing woman. She was so generous and thoughtful and loving to everybody, to everybody. And so she, and she had this amazing library in our house of books of all kinds of psychology books and books about Mother Teresa. Like it, her library was fantastic. So I had been reading that stuff since I was like 15, 16 years old. And so there was a lot of seeds planted before that. Mm-hmm. But it, it, when I went through that training, I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is going to be my next thing. This is going to be my next thing for sure. And I still loved singing. And I, you know, I was getting a little older for the dancing. But, um, but yeah, the coaching just kind of took over. Took, and is, took that what, me. is that what took you to Florida next? Um, I went through some tough times with the father of my kids and, um, ended up wanting to move. And my uncle, the one that had been mayor said, you know, why don't you come to Miami? And it was between Miami, it was between Miami and going back to Maryland. So, you know, I was like, I'll choose the warm weather after LA for seven years. And, um, he helped me get set up in Miami and I lived there with my kids for four years before I came back to Maryland. So, um, and while I was there, I, I didn't do too much with performing. I did, I worked at a homeless shelter as a director of employment and I did a lot of teaching and I became also a math teacher for a little while for um, a special school where the students were on probation. They were all on probation and that was really interesting. 
part of my uh, life. <laughs> um, so, I mean, so when did you incorporate, when did you start your own coaching business? I started, I started to see clients back in 2014 when I was still in Los Angeles. And then when I got to Miami, I, I really was focused on, on raising my kids because they were still so little. And, um, and my uncle was kind of like, I don't care what you do, but you know, you need to support your kids. And then if you want to coach, just coach on the side, you know, and he was right. So I, I would have some clients here and there and, and then let's see, I got really lucky when I was in Miami, I ended up finding out about this coach called Steve Hardison. And this guy is now he's known as the ultimate coach. He, I can't even put into words what he is, but he's kind of like Mother Teresa and Tony Robbins smashed together into one person. Wow. He's got just, he's like walking love and he's so intense. And I thought I was a loving person. And when I saw, I saw he only had one video. Now, okay, this is a man who charges about $200,000 a year. And you have to fly to his house in Arizona for every session. Wow. Okay. So this is like serious shit, right? <laughs> serious commitment. And I, and so I was looking him up when I heard about him and there was only one video of him speaking because he's not a speaker. He's a coach and he works with people in person. And in the talk, he talks, he, he just comes across as so loving in the way he describes what he does for this one football player, Deuce Latui. The whole story is just what he did for Deuce Latui. And it's so powerful that like, you cannot watch this talk without crying. Okay. Mm. At the time I, but, but when I watched and I saw him, I go, oh my God, he's being loving, this crazy kind of loving and he's getting paid for it. And this is what I'm already doing. Awesome. Now it gave me permission to be that because I thought I was crazy. I thought I'm not supposed to be, I'm not supposed to be like this. I'm not supposed to care about people like this. Right. Right. But watching him do it gave me permission. Really. That's what it did for me. And then I started giving his talk, telling people to watch his talk. And I'll tell you my cousin. um, So my uncle's son, Francis, he's now the mayor of Miami. Okay. (laughs) Before, <laughs> before he was mayor, I gave him this talk. I sent it to him, like the link. He, he drove to my house and said, thanks, coach. And he gave me $100 for sending him that video. Oh, my gosh. And he was like almost in tears. And he had written all this stuff. This, this talk is really powerful. And he had written all his, like, what he wanted to create in the world on this napkin. And I was like, wow. I said, I told you. I told you, everybody that I've shown that talk to has had a, like, almost like a religious experience. It's so powerful. Yeah. Um, so that's when I really got excited about coaching. And I saw a, a way of coaching that made sense to me that was just really powerful. That's all. It was really powerful. And I ended up um, finding him on Facebook and I became friends with him. And... Um, writing to him one day about the students that I was working with and he ended and, and to coaches, Steve Hardison is like our Oprah. He's like Oprah Winfrey to us. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he sends me a, a, an email and he says, I'm reading your email 
and I'm crying. I'm sitting here in my pajamas and I'm crying. Wow. I'm about to call you, please pick up. <laughs> and I'm like, what? So, <laughs> so I get a phone call from him and he, and I, I think I had said like, would you come speak to the students or something? And he had said, you know, um, I won't come speak cause I don't travel, but if you stay on the phone with me, we can co-create something else. And I'm like, hell yeah. And we had like an hour conversation and it was amazing. It was amazing. And that, uh, he, I can't even, I can't, I finally met him. It's, it, it took six years and I just met him last January for the first time in person. Oh, wow. um, so he, he's just had a big effect on me. That's, I guess that's what I could say about that. But he, but because of the way he coaches and, and the, I've, I've been fortunate enough that when you, when you become friends with him, he really, he'll write you on Facebook. He'll, he'll, he'll send you all kinds of stuff. So he emails me, he sends me stuff. And then one day I, recently I got a call from somebody that he was coaching named Devin and Devin called me and he was like, Rosie, Rosie, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you. Um, at the time, this was after COVID and to be honest, going through COVID hit me pretty hard. Yeah. You know, I was living with my kids and going crazy, just being in the house by myself with my two kids. Do you, um, I, I, I stalked to you a little bit in preparation for this. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I've been to your website and everything. And so can you tell me about, and I don't want to say it incorrectly, your, your dubbed chosen new last name. Oh, Maslov? Yes. <laughs> yeah, sure. So Maslov, Mas means more in Spanish. Yes. So what happened was the birth of Maslov. It was actually almost 13 years ago where that word came through me. And I don't know where it came from. I think it was when I was, you know, I was really heavy into Marianne Williamson and, and her book, Return to Love. And she taught, and one of the things she says is, um, in any situation, all that is needed is more love. So I just translated that into mas love because it's more interesting because I'm Latina. So mas love, and I put the two words together next to each other. And then I kind of left it alone. I liked it, but I left it alone for like 13 years. This is what I love about how, how things work through us and then they're birthed at the right time. And then when I became a coach, that word came back into me again and I started playing with it. And I said to my son, Charlie, I said, Charlie, what does mass love mean to you? And he goes, oh, that's easy, mom. Mass love is twice the love your mother gives you. Wow. And I go, and in my head, I go, that's, that's it, that's perfect. And, and what, I, what I discovered was to me, mass love is, is twice the, the love your mother gives you, which is like, being more loving than makes sense to be. More loving than is comfortable for you and sometimes even for the other person. Like to do something that is just makes, like if you do it, you look ridiculous, but it's right. out of love, right? And so that's what I try to, to I talk about being mass love, like being, being, being love, when you don't know what else to do. I don't know. Right. Being yeah. love when being love when there's when when it makes no sense to be that. Right. And there's and there's just no other choice. Right. 
And you when know, there and seems like, and when it seems like you have no other choices, there still is love. Absolutely. And love, love creates something else. You know, love is the, what I think is really important for people to, to know is that you cannot love someone and judge them at the same time. Right. So you have to choose. So if you just, if you step out of judgment and you just, because when you, when you judge, okay, so you can't judge someone, you can't judge anything unless it's separate from you. So you have to move away from it to judge it. So you can look at it, right? You got to look at it. So as soon as you do that, you're moving away from something that is not loving because you're separate. Right. As, as soon as you stop the judgment, it collapses together and how you're you back in love. How would one uh, choose unconditional love in a relationship where the other uh, relation is, is, has conditioned love? For instance, maybe there is a, um, maybe there's a son or a daughter that has unconditional love for their family, but the family has conditional love for them based on dot, dot, dot. Yeah, that happens a lot. So I think it's happened to me. Yeah. And I, you know, I think sometimes I, I try not to always um, look for a gallon size answer in a, through a pint size cup. Yeah. Um, but once again, when there's no other thing to turn to, there still is love. And I guess it's my love that I'm choosing, not for me to choose someone else's love to me. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say, is that what, what's really beautiful, this is what I would say is, you know, our families are doing, and to me, everyone is doing the best they can with what they know. So they right. might be doing shit because that's all they know. <laughs> right. So we can either say, damn, and be upset with them. Why'd they do this? And why did they do that? And, and I've had a lot of stuff with my own family, right? Or we can love them anyway. And we get to decide to be loving. Like no one, no one can make us not love. That's totally our decision. So if what we can do is kind of, you kind of step back and you look at it and you say, like curious, and like cute, almost like their kids, like, oh, look at them. Look at them doing that again. They think that's really helpful. It sucks, but how cute is that, you know? Right. And then, and so you see them and you kind of give them, there's a term, we, we call it psychological innocence. So when you really see that they're doing the best they can and they don't know better, then it's not as charged. And, and you can kind of, you kind of step back and you can see it and say they really are doing the best they can. And then what happens is if, if you can be loving anyway, be loving anyway and, and accept them exactly as they are, they're just being themselves. Right. right. Just like we're being ourselves, they're just being themselves. I can't be mad at my sister for thinking this of me. She's always thought this of me. She's just being her. Yeah. Well, so, it's, ob it's obvious kind of through your entire journey how you just being yourself has really just opened up doors and avenues, even though at times maybe it didn't feel like it, but to, to create this beautiful journey for yourself. 
Yes. And, you know, it, it has not been easy to, to be myself in a family of 10 kids. Right. You know, just like, I think it's Matt, you were saying your family, right? That was you, yeah. Matt? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I've had a lot of judgment from my family and I, um, I was the one who took a lot more risks. Like a lot of my siblings were more interested in security. Right. And as the full blown artist, some of my, now a lot of my, my brothers became musicians. So they've taken some similar routes, but, um, it has been hard to, you know, I don't have the financial security that my other siblings have because of how I lived my life. Right. Right. But I would, I wouldn't change anything because I, I really felt from a very young age that I surrendered my life to God. I was like, whatever you want me to do. Right. Cause that's what my mother taught me to do. So I was like, whatever. So I've always felt that whether it was moving to California or back to Miami or to whatever, I was just following what God wanted me to do. So I'm, I can't feel guilty about that. Right. God made me a singer and he made me a dancer. I can't feel guilty about that. My, my, uh, my sibling maybe didn't choose that, but that's, they have their own path and I have my own path and it has not been easy by any means, but I got to the point. Um, and I just learned this recently. Okay. And I'm 50. So <laughs> it takes time. What I finally started to see just in the past few months really clearly was that nothing, well, first of all, listen, everyone is so involved in their own life that they don't even, listen, this is funny, this cracks me up. No one spends enough time thinking about us to even have a real opinion of us. Right, yeah. <laughs> seriously, Hello. seriously, like literally. And, and think about, I love telling people this to show them this, that we don't, we don't get so hung up on what other people think of us. Think about how many moments of your life no one has been witness to except you. Right. You know, all of us as performers, nobody has, been, has seen us in all the shows we've done except us. Right. We're the ones who, we're the ones who got up and did all of that rehearsing and, and played the piano all those times when no one was there and got into the rehearsal space and practiced the song and felt like we looked ugly and didn't want to get up one day. You know, we're the ones who, we live independently and we get to experience life and no one sees all of the moments of our individual lives. So no one has enough information to even make a judgment. It's interesting you say that I just saw, I mean, this is a random correlation, but I just saw Pete Davidson talking about something and of all people, um, but he, he said something like that his father once gave him a really good piece of advice because he always has suffered from anxiety and worried about what people think of him. And his father said to him, nobody's thinking about you. Nobody's thinking about you. How many, how many minutes of your day do you think about other people and judge them? And none. Nobody does that. Nobody, you're not that important that somebody's out there thinking about you. Move on. Don't worry about it. And I thought, you know, well, that's probably not true it's, this week because he's definitely in the news. But um, Well, I mean, something similar. But, but it's, it's true. Something you know similar I mean? was said to me as a kid. Uh, my youth minister at church, I was very nervous. I had just moved to Georgia. 
And uh, I was just worried that everybody was talking about me. And uh, yeah. he told me aside and he said, when you walk into a room, if you think everybody's talking about you, that's on you. You have a, a pretty big ego to think that everybody is talking about you. <laughs> and I've, I've thought about that a lot throughout my entire life. Like nobody's thinking about me. I'm not thinking about them. They're not thinking about me. Right. It's, it's, so it's true. And then there's parts of it, like what, what I started to see was we're, we're the only one responsible to create who we are. Like I am going to create who I am. That is my job. That is only my job to create who I am. And I recreate that every day. I, I, I can create anything I want. But that's up to me. I'm creating it. It's not what someone says about me doesn't create who I am. Right. All, all it means is all it is a reflection of is their mood at the time. It's all about their mood at the time. If they're hungry or they're tired, they're going to say stupid shit about me. If they're in what a good mood. What someone says about you does not create who you are. That's right. Yes. It really doesn't. And we can, and we can listen and we can check in now, but this is another level of like self-awareness and strength. Okay. Which is we can hear them say, you know, you're kind of a, a jerk and we can say like, this happened to me. I'll give you a real story. The father of my kids who I try, I try not to call my ex, the father of my kids, Russell, um, we actually went through a leadership training. I went through it first in Los Angeles. And then I was so different that he said, can you send me? So I ended up sending him through it, which was really cool. And when we came out, we were just friends then. We, were, we weren't together anymore, but we were arguing. And he said, you're so hard to get along with. And he was like screaming at me, right? And it like hit me. And then I was like, wait a minute. And I left the, the apartment and I took a walk. And I just checked in with myself. And I said, hmm, I wonder if I'm hard to get along with. Maybe I am hard to get along with. I can imagine that sometimes I'm really hard to get along with. And I started laughing to myself, like, and I realized that he's allowed to have his own experience of me. That's his truth. Anybody can have their experience of me. That doesn't have to mean anything about me, but it is true for them. Right. And, and I went back and I said to him, you know what? I'm probably hard to get along with, aren't I? And he said, yeah, but also I'm hard to get along with too. So like when I, when I took ownership of it, then he took ownership of it. And we've never thought about that again. Wow. But, it, but, but this is not an easy practice. <laughs> you know, right. I'm not saying this is easy, but if you can just check in with yourself, check in. If it's not true at all, look past it. If it's a little bit true, look at yourself. Maybe there's a place for you to work on. Yeah. But then, but, but let people have their experience of you. It doesn't, if you always are fighting and defending it, you'll never get anywhere with people because it, it just creates more conflict. Amen. And, and yeah. here's another part of it. Everyone is living, this is really important too. Everyone is living in a separate reality, okay? Yeah. <laughs> we each have our own dream. We've made, created a world inside of our heads and it's totally separate. And we see the world differently than each person. Yep. And if you just allow people to have that, you don't have to get so wrapped up in if they agree with you or not. Right. You know, but, but when it comes to, um, 
the problem that comes with families is that we have a lot of history with people. Yeah. And so what happens is when you hang out with people that you have a lot of history with, they're not seeing you who you are right now in 2022. They're remembering you from the last time they saw you and all the things you did or didn't do for them for the past 20 years. Right. And they're not, they don't even see you. They're not seeing you. So that's why it's harder when we have a lot of history. But if you, but if you come in and you, and you come in fresh with fresh eyes and you see people, you try to see them just how they are right now. Yeah. Right now in this moment, you, you, you'll discover that if you bring that kind of energy, you'll create something new in them. Right. People change really quickly if, you, if, you, if they feel your love for them. Well, thinking about separate realities, I mean, I think art in of itself, good art is really, you know, the, the mirror of humanity. And so mm-hmm. I think art does that as well, you know, shows you those separate realities and that, oh, I never thought of something that way. And it really can really bring it out of you. Speaking of that, is there something during, you know, the COVID times that you like really got into book wise or did you watch something or was there something that really kind of stuck out to you during that time period? Oh, that's a good question. Um, You know, I, like a lot of people was watching a lot of news, (laughs) Oh God! Um, but I'll tell you one thing that really affected me was this choir that is an all black choir that did a a video and each choir member, and it looked like 50 choir members was in a separate place and they performed, we shall overcome. Like on zoom. Yeah. Oh my God. Has it, have you, have you guys seen that? It It is vaguely familiar. Yeah. I think I did see it. Have you Uh seen it? Okay. I can't remember the name of the college, but it was so powerful. I mean, so inspirational. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Because all of the faces are these beautiful black faces. You know, it was not, there was not a white person. And it was just like, this is, I was like, why can't people see this? You know, this is, this is real life. I don't know. And that video touched my heart at a very deep level. I was just sending it out last night, actually, to some people. Even now, um, well, I'm stuck with you that long. Oh my gosh! You know what really got to me was like when everybody started singing outside of their windows in New York. I think you guys even did it. Like you, Matt, you went outside and you played the piano for a while mm-hmm. outside just for oh. people. You know that that's just like community and music we, therapy. We, it's we, music therapy. We yeah. did like a Christmas Eve concert outside. Um, yeah, there were 20 some people just on, on our doorstep, just quiet, listening. Like it was oh beautiful. Gosh. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It brought out a lot of community, a feeling of community for sure with a lot of people. We, yeah. we, but it wasn't all trauma. I mean, we're, I think we're correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. With, <laughs> with a lot of stuff coming out of it and everything. But my God, Rosie, it's been really wonderful talking to you, seeing where you been and yes and where you are now it's it's absolutely amazing and can people oh, thank you. where can people find what's your website can you give that a plug for us 
Sure. It's just my name.com, rosiebernardo.com. Um, and if I could just close with, with two quick things. Yeah. Um, one, well, actually one thing. One thing that's really important to me is to, um, in my practice, in my coaching, based on how Steve Hardison works with his clients, we have I am statements, which are really powerful. It's like who we're being and we create I recreate myself every day with my I am statement. But one of the things that's in it that's really important to me that I want all of you to hear and all artists to hear especially is, um, and part of my statement is life is worth living. And I will enjoy the ups and downs every moment of my life. Life is worth living. And so what happens is because that is part of me and I recreate that every day, I really like to work with people that are really going through it, that are really suffering, that are feeling like life is not worth living. Because to me, if I am, life is worth living. I am, that's what I represent. Then you cannot be in my presence and have suicidal thoughts. They just dissolve. You, you can't. And right. so I, I really, really like to, to remind people that life is worth living. Life is worth living, it is. And if you're doubting that, it's only because your thinking is not right. You're overthinking. You're lost in your thinking. Right. And, and, as, and, as, friends, in, and as friends, I urge people, when someone is going through something, all you have to do is go spend time with them. Go right. be with them. If someone's showing signs that they're not go doing well, you can't be like, I'll talk to you tomorrow. You have to go to them. Right. And you have to stay with them. You have to feed them and you have to let them rest and you have to just be with them until they're okay. Right. And know that they will be okay. Also in your heart, know that they will be okay. Those thoughts pass. Those thoughts will pass. Um, but I just like to, to remind everyone of that. It's really important, especially suicide has become a big, even worse issue because of COVID. Right. Yes. And we're getting and, into the holiday season, too. And we're getting into the holiday season. And there's so many beautiful things on, on the web. Thank God for people. If you're not feeling good, we all know we can hop on the web and watch something uh, inspirational or something. But, um, you know, I really urge if anyone's going through something, please email me, call me, whatever. Like, I really want to be there for people. I, I've worked with a lot of people going through that kind of situation. And I've seen people come out on the other end. And I, for one, want to live to be 120. So yes. you know, I'm going to be dancing and singing until I'm old lady. <laughs> because life is worth living. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's amazing. Well, Rosie, it was so great to catch up with you. And thank you for sharing your beautiful light. And um, keep shining on. And gosh, we're kind of not that far from each other. We should catch up in person sometime soon. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being on here with all of you. So nice to hear all of your voices. Wow. You too. Absolutely. You too. Great to wonderful. connect with you again. We love you so much and take care. All right. All right. You too. Mas love. Mas love. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks so much, Rosie, for talking to us. Very inspirational, very uplifting, especially at this time of the year when everyone is just stretched to their maximum capacity. Um, so you're a, a nice force of light out there in the world. It's really a pleasure to reconnect with you. Yep. And I got your, I got your, your message that you sent me, Rosie. I haven't responded yet. 
I've been, we've been, of course, just crazy busy putting up shows. So thanks, yep. thanks for your kind message. Mm-hmm. I also got a kind message from you, and <laughs> ditto. Um, three tech weeks and eight weeks, whatever. But thanks for stopping in on the show. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. Much love. Much love. Oh, that's right. Mas love. Mas love. Um, if you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon under Connor and Smith. Again, with an E-R. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. It really helps us out. Share it where you share things. Post it where you post things in 16 countries around the world. Um... We uh, would be nothing without all of you guys taking the time to do this, and we really appreciate that. Um, if you want to continue the conversation with Rosie or about Rosie, you know, saying hi, whatever, you go to the Discord board. That's in the podcast description, in the podcast notes. Um, and if you would like to support us on Patreon, we uh, really appreciate it. We thank all of you who have already joined our Patreon. Gets you some extra content. And may- hey, maybe a magnet, some other stuff. Um, and it's exclusive content only to Patreon, so that link is also in the podcast notes. Um, we have more and more SU folks uh, joining the bandwagon every day, including some big surprises and big gets coming up and the rest of December and into the new year because I don't think we're stopping anytime soon with the SU train. It just keeps chugging along. Um, So at any rate, hope your holidays are going wonderful and uh, we will be with you in your ears um, as we lead up to the big new year. So thank you for joining us as always. Bye. Bye.